Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Hello again, listeners. Welcome to another Daily Canon weekly podcast. This is a slightly strange two-part podcast because we're recording part of this before the FA Cup tie against Leeds United, where we get to enjoy the victory over Manchester United with Anita, again, all the way from Croatia, particularly enjoying it because, obviously, as many of you know, her other half is a Man United fan. Uh, More on that later, perhaps. Uh... And then a little bit later, I'll be recording after the Leeds game uh, with a new podcast uh, contributor. Uh, and you can hear about that in the second half of the podcast. However, we're not interested in that now because we do know for sure we beat Man United for Arteta's first win. And uh, a very significant game, I think, uh, in the immediate and perhaps going forward. So how was it for you, Anita? Oh, it was... <laughs> I have to say it was very surprising because if anyone listened to the last week's podcast, I wasn't really confident about this match. And uh, yeah, I thought that at the best we would take a draw or something like that. But yeah, the, the lads and Arteta really showed, showed what they can do, what they are capable of and really a fantastic, fantastic win for us. No better way to start the 2020, which could definitely be a big year for us and Arteta. Well, I mean, the chances are it's not going to be significantly worse than 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. Yeah. Unless we get to relegate or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose at least that would be sort of interesting. <laughs> you know, so much of 2019 was just dull, dull, dull. So obviously yeah. going into the Man U match, you, not- you noted that you had a little bit of nerves, shall we say. Um, yeah. I was feeling quite comfortable despite the fact that obviously United present a great threat on the break simply because with Pogba out and McTominay out, United central midfield is shit, uh, which means that our mediocre central midfield that is rediscovering itself was not going to be a, a massive source of problems for us, which it has been for so much of the season, partly due to the changed approach by the new head coach and partly because Man United's uh, combination of Matic and Fred are not exactly uh, Barcelona circa Xavi and Iniesta Um, also uh, we've got despite the fact it doesn't feel like it we've got quite a good record at home against Man United in recent seasons Uh, yeah we do my only wins usually come at home (laughs) yeah (laughs) pretty much yeah yeah uh so we uh i mean obviously we'll talk about the game in detail but that took us up to four wins out of the last five league games at home against united a record slightly dampened by the fact we lost to them in the cup last year when alexis sanchez had it was had his one good game for the entire fucking season um but he was always going to in that game um But uh, enough about expectations. I mean, one thing that was interesting about coming into the game is we finally, for the first time this season, saw uh, a game with us start with our entire fab front four. Oh, yeah, that was really exciting. When the lineups came out, it's just, oh, yeah, we finally get to see how it works, if it works. (laughs) What will we get to see? If if it will be you know doom for us with everyone going forward and no one left to defend, but yeah, it really worked great. And I'd say mostly thank, thanks to Mesut Ozil having probably his best match this season so far. Well, on Mesut Ozil, he also uh, I mean we he always gets lots of stick for being lazy, which isn't accurate because he's always got great running stats, but. Uh, 
intensity of running has not necessarily been a Mesut's main thing over the last year or so. Uh, partly because clearly he didn't think Emery was a coach, as the lip readers all told us. Um, <laughs> But this is a game where Ozil ran more than anyone else in an Arsenal shirt. Uh, I think he may have done the most running on the pitch. And what was most impressive is that quite a lot of that running was at fairly high intensity, which is obviously one of the watchwords of of Arteta's tenure so far. Um, I mean, do you think... I mean, without wishing to pour cold water onto a fire already, do you think Ozil can maintain this level of physical intensity? Well, I mean, we will definitely have to see because we have seen uh, after the Chelsea match and even after the United match that players mentioned that they are struggling with fitness uh, when it comes to Arteta's plan, you know, high intensity, lots of pressure and everything constantly being uh, everywhere and running around. So it might be a, a, a struggle for him because he hasn't been playing that much, as we all know, under Emery. And obviously that, that definitely can be noticed on fitness level and the way he, if he can last for 90 minutes, he has been subbed off, right, in all Arteta matches. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems to be the tactic seems to be rather than uh, starting Ozil and letting him sort of slightly coast through large parts of a 90-minute performance, it's make him run his bollocks off for 70 minutes and then give him a rest seems to be the approach which I mean frankly is more sensible because uh, Ozil actually doesn't have a great record of of match changing interventions late on in matches anyway (laughs) (laughs) Um, most of his greatest impact in in matches tends to be in in either first half or early in in the second half as a rule, if you look at his time at Arsenal, and even at uh, Real Madrid, he wasn't really a 90-minute player for for the time at which he was most successful in that team. But obviously, as Arteta's trying to do, they did most of their damage up uh, sort of up front relatively early in games, and then that obviously allows you to have a slightly easier time the rest of the time. Um, we're obviously seeking that fluidity and confidence, but uh, certainly we've started brightly in all the games under Arteta and indeed reasonably so under Freddie Lundberg uh, which is a, a, a contrast to our dead first halves with Emery in charge that we got so fucking used to um, but yeah and, and the, the fitness uh, side of it uh, mm-hmm. aside I think that he just you know looks happier if, if you could say that yeah. ever since Arteta was announced and everything starting with his uh, welcome message on on social media. How welcome home, Mikel, uh, and it just he looks like we get we are getting back. You know the the messages that we signed. Uh, at least for now, we'll see definitely <laughs> in a few few matches if, if it will continue. It's hard to say, and it would be really not not really smart to say yeah that he's definitely back this is definitely 100% the old uh, messages will win you because first of all it, it has been a few years and it, it we will still need to see how much I, i'd say damage emery <laughs> did to him and his form and everything but so far so good and also i mean Ozil is the wrong side of 30 and even if he's 
committed as as he possibly can be to physical preparation and what have you, he's not going to be able to be quite as athletic as he was in his early twenties or or in his mid twenties when we signed him. Simply, yeah, because, sim- particularly over um, compressed fixtures. Uh, but and we also all know that Özil historically has always been a player that has quite an economical style, but needs to be injury free to play that style. I mean. Certainly, it seems his back problems might be behind him for the time being, which has got to be a good thing because then that at least allows us to see what he's capable of without knowing that he's kind of half cooked as he as he has been for quite a lot of the last two years where he's been i mean he he, he got developed that problem just around the time that he or just before he signed the contract that everyone talks about obviously um with good reason um and that has made him real really in an in and out player and not able to train with the level of intensity but hopefully we're seeing that that's behind him Talking of quick starts, uh, this is a game where actually United started slightly quicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the first first what was a minute or yeah, two they, minutes? Yeah, they had a shot in the first minute. Yeah, from Rashford. I mean, it's just oh, not this again. <laughs> mm. Thankfully, Brent Leno and the defense were kind of on it, and especially after the during the whole match. And yeah, I mean, we responded really well on that. I mean, were you nervous at the start after they after you saw them looking dangerous, or, or were you kind of hopeful that we'd be able to turn that around? <laughs> well, you know, to, to be completely honest, I didn't pay that much attention to, <laughs> to this <laughs> beginning. <laughs> Just TV was on because, yeah, we were. It was a big, big. Uh, Darby for for us at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a it, it it was a match with a lot of different uh, potential outcomes for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't really paying that much attention when it when it all started and started you know getting into it when when Pepe scored. <laughs> <laughs> so did did so uh, did did the, the opening goal break your uh, r- romantic milestone moment? <laughs> I mean, I was really happy jumping around. He was just smiling right next to me because it was always like that, you know. Just if if Arsenal lost, if uh, if yeah, if Arsenal lost, it would it would be a bit a lot harder for us because I'm really a bad loser when it comes to that. <laughs> While when his team United lose, he kind of gets over it and looks at the our general score where he has 11 wins and I just got my sixth win (laughs) not much to worry for him (laughs) so go on then for those podcast listeners who don't know tell them what happened well uh, (laughs) yeah uh, before the match started uh, my my dear boyfriend Nico who is a Manchester United fan actually proposed to me (laughs) he asked me if I would like to watch all the other Manchester United Arsenal matches together because he enjoys watching them with me. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice and romantic and he did it before the match, you know, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was... I, I, ha- I really, I admit, I didn't pay 100% attention to the match because of everything, you know. But, yeah, it was really 
couldn't he couldn't have done done it better well they they there you go uh, uh for those listening this is probably a dream couple for a lot of listeners you know <laughs> for, for, for for a proposal to take place directly related to a, a footballing rivalry and for both, and for both sides to be really happy with that it's quite a rare thing so uh let's let's all enjoy that um and then pepe scored and suddenly you were back in the game <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean that was just I don't know who were who for whom that goal was more important for Arsenal in general after the that start by United and you know everything around Arteta and bad run of games or for Pepe who we all know was both struggling to even get some minutes and then not looking as sharp as many would like when he did get minutes and that was just really fantastic fantastic goal. Yeah, it was it was one of those it, it quite reminiscent of quite a lot of Pepe's highlights for Lille, actually. A goal where hit the strike didn't seem entirely convincing, but at the same time, it was. <laughs> at the same time, it was very, very effective. And and um, there was some interesting quotes from one of his previous coaches talking about how because he was a, a goalkeeper till he was like 13 before he started playing outfield a pepe's got a lot of unrealized potential because you know he's only been playing outfield for for a decade um, <laughs> but also he has a, a very good understanding of what goalkeepers can and can't do and what they expect and not so um is able to place shots and shots in a relatively calm way without having to go for power because he knows he's very good at assessing where the goalkeeper can get to from the goalkeeper's starting position um which i suppose is a slightly unique perspective but um hey we're not complaining um obviously and we also get a, a player who can stand in goal in case <laughs> well, yeah. we a goalkeeper injured and everyone subbed off already yeah he, he could do what uh Phil Jagielka did against us for Sheffield United all those years ago. Um, uh, um, obviously, the the goal, the build-up for the goal, had a direct relation to uh, some of the tactical shifts we've seen. You know, there was there was uh, Urza was involved in the build-up, then the ball went out left, uh, Klasnach pushed further forward, then got it uh, got wide, and then played a one-two with Abamyang, where Abamyang went wider, and Klasnach came slightly inside. Uh, the cross and cross goal, obviously a slight uh, deflection, and into the path of Pepe, who wanted the ball to shoot more than Özil did, which is no great surprise given that he's more of a goal scorer. And yeah, and uh, I punched the air, and the Emirates erupted. Um, <laughs> I mean, as you say, that was a really big goal for both player and team. Um, you know, Pepe's had his couple of moments, but that's. You know that's a key goal against a big opposition team. Yeah. Um, and in the full stadium again, in front of the home crowd, it just—I believe it will do, do wonders for his his uh, self confidence. And yeah. then the again setting, helping in setup for for the second goal as well. Just well, exactly uh, from our only corner of the entire match. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, this this is it. It's it's how Arsenal have been transformed into a George Graham set piece team. <laughs> we're we're you know we've scored two more goals from corners than any other team in the leagues this season. Which you know I don't think you could have said that at any point under Arsene Wenger. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and we're we're bringing back the near post flick on uh, Alice Steve Bold uh, flicking onto Tony Adams. Only this time it's 
Alex Lacazette flicking on to Socrates, which is not a combination you'd have expected before this season. <laughs> Socrates really used the, those those few seconds that he got with the ball really well. Like uh, he was, you know, the striker, <laughs> <laughs> just in the right place. Yeah, really, really good. I mean, usually you think that we were we would concede a goal like that. Yeah, yeah. Scrap, scrappy goal after corner or something like that when defenders are not paying enough attention. <laughs> but yeah, it was. it's nice to be on the other side. Well, it's also interesting, isn't it, how no one really talked about Pepe's set pieces uh, when he's arrived, but he scored two direct free kicks and, and set up about four or five goals from corners, or at least been yeah. involved in setting for in, in, in limited game time. And that's a massive thing for Arsenal because we haven't had a reliable set piece taker. You know, Xhaka's had a go and been decent, but not n- not that great. Uh, you know, Ozil's occasionally capable of it, but we haven't really. Since Casola. Yeah, and he, and even Casola's actually he, even his. Uh, his corners weren't quite as dangerous as, as Pepe's have been uh, in yeah. terms of where where because Pepe's seemed to get the ball to to die right in the six yard box, which <laughs> which is quite a skill to be able to achieve. Um, and, and obviously, we have scored a few goals directly as, as a result. Um, so yeah, um, I mean, by this stage, we're totally dominant. I mean, the 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 pressing tactics are in full effect. Um, United couldn't get out of their half for large parts of the first half of the match, and uh, poor Harry Maguire was made mm-hmm. to look look uh, well, not very good, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> not peaceful. Not the. Uh really representing his price tag <laughs> yeah I mean it was obviously he, he's known as a, a, a defender that can play the ball out from the back but there's a few times where he just played kick the ball into touch but it's partly because we did such a good job of just giving him no options um, you know a, a bit like what was happening until Jorginho came on for Chelsea you know they've got the ball at the back and there were times where the only clear pass he had on was to De Gea um, he wasn't even able to get free passes to Lindelof for large sections of the game, um, which is, you know, something again we haven't seen. You know, for all the discussion about Emery and pressing, we've already got a more coordinated press within two weeks with Arteta than than we had within a year and a half of Emery. Despite the fact that pressing from was like part of his philosophy and also part of his reputation, which is kind of extraordinary. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really great to see, and uh, it's it's. All on Arteta, I'd say. I think I noticed in highlights or, or a GIF or something uh, was posted on Twitter. Or, yeah, the bench cam that Arsenal hmm. share when I think it was Maitland-Niles uh, or, or Reese Nelson later on who lost the ball somewhere in the middle of the pitch and Arteta went crazy <laughs> yelling at him for that. And definitely looks like he knows how to do his job. <laughs> well, well, I mean, we saw that with Pepe, didn't we, in the in the in the, uh, the second half, where Pepe gave the ball away a couple of times cheaply in midfield and was trying to do a little too much individually. And second time, Arteta sh- shaked his fist, and within within a two minutes, Pepe was off the field. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, fairly ruthless, uh, but obviously, I mean, that was because we were tiring, and as as 
people said we weren't physically ready it was, was reflected by the the players after the match as well um so we get to t- we get to half time it's 2-0 we're totally in the ascendancy we look much more likely to get the next goal and then the second half there's a, a definite change of approach uh from from both teams uh, I and mean, what did you make of that i imagine you were slightly more paying attention in the second half uh, 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 given you know, <laughs> given the fact that Arsenal are winning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I I always kind of expect expected for us to a bit drop a bit in the second half with everything that was happening and the the tire tiring and the result we had, and it could be a little bit, you know being used to uh, keeping the result and rather defending <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> from what we had from memory and obviously United really cha- made some changes as you mentioned and it, it was very very much visible with the they had what more possession and and I think that they actually caught us up caught up our shot number of shots in the second half as well yeah, by the end of the match, both teams had had ten shots and four and four on target, and the possession was forty nine percent Arsenal, fifty one percent United. So yeah, um, the the difference is obviously that when we were in the ascendancy, we were much more penetrative, and uh, whereas when United be the ascendancy, I mean, still the best chance they had in the whole match. Well, you could say <laughs> that that floated ball from Matter to Rashford at the end, maybe where Leno came out very quickly and smothered it. Or it was Harry Maguire's header from a set piece at the end of the first half, but neither are really fantastic chances. Um, I mean, not that we had a plethora of fantastic chances, but we had, I think, more situations where the United defence looked uncomfortable. Um, partly because of one of the biggest changes we've seen so far under Teta, which is that midfield compactness uh, and the midfield not being. 30 yards from the centre-backs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think that what I, I like Arteta's comments about Chaka and the latest developments in that because once mm. again it was shown how Chaka and Torreira definitely are best pick for that midfield duo. Yeah, I mean, and, and it just shows that, I mean, again, it, it, it makes it all the more bewildering what Emery was doing this season because we saw at the first half of last season before Torreira retired that that Xhaka and Torreira was a, was a, a a good partnership that was pretty effective even when the team was a little bit all over the shop. Uh, <laughs> but it seemed the longer Emery was in charge, the the less effectively he was able to use those midfielders either individually or as a partnership, and the more he put them in positions where it was impossible for them to be truly successful. He, he it made Xhaka have to play a defensive midfield role that rec- of being isolated and, and having to cover vast distances. And he had Torreira pushed forward and having to do 50-yard shuttle runs, which is, you know, it would take you... It would, it would take sort of 10 minutes of watching even highlight reels to work out that those are not the strengths of those players. Yeah. Um, I do think... I, I was thinking maybe that playing Torreira higher up front had some kind of positive influence because it, it could be just me noticing it is perhaps maybe not even true but I kind of think that he is definitely going forward a bit more now and has a few more chances he even had some uh, against United as well yes with that lovely pirouette and the shot that went just just wide again in the first half 
Um, and he just like uh, like as looks like he's definitely enjoying playing under that. Well, I mean, this is the thing that it it's. I mean, we'll have to wait to see, obviously, what what happens going forward. But it's so clear so quickly that Arteta has a much more clear understanding of the players he has at his disposal and how to utilise them. You know, you you look at who have been the standout players, you know, not in terms of necessarily effort, because obviously Lacazette and Aubameyang have run their asses off in, in, in a way that is, frankly, very impressive. But... Torreira, Ozil, Xhaka and David Luiz and Maitland-Niles have been really fucking good (laughs) (laughs) for the games they've played under Arteta and you know the way things were going under Emery it was like counting down to when each of them was going to leave the club Um, you know two of them wanted out and uh, Ozil and David Luiz looked like busted flushes and and Maitland-Niles who knew where he was going to ever play again you know um, uh, and it sort of it sort of reminds me about how ridiculously generous we all were trying to be supportive of <laughs> very much um, and, and actually, do you think do you think uh, Pep, uh, I mean Arteta was sitting on the bench uh, when we played against City and thinking I would play him there, I would play him there, I would put him there, I would do this, I would do that. Uh, well, I mean, it was Freddy's match. Yeah, very, uh, then, very, but. very possibly, simply because um, by then Arsenal had obviously made contact with him. Uh, <laughs> and he did mention about sort of having found it very strange being on the City bench and Arsenal just being like a both the stadium and the team being a bit corpse-like. <laughs> um, and and yeah, hey, I mean, he's been preparing games for City for the last three years. You know, he's played with Ozil. He's, uh, he's, he wanted, saying how he wanted to sign Xhaka uh, uh, as a pop, well, one of the options they were looking at when he was at City. Um, you know, Torreira's obviously an Arteta-style player because, he, <laughs> you know, an Arteta knows that position better than most, uh, having obviously excelled there for Arsenal. Um until his until the injuries caught up with him, so yeah, he must have had an idea about how these players are being misused. And of course, I feel terribly vindicated. Uh, uh, this is my geek out moment because Arteta's now playing a, playing a formation, a style, and a tactic, which is incredibly similar to the ta- to what I've been doing on Football Manager for the last three seasons, <laughs> where I've been winning the shit out of everything, and I've had you know fans on Football Manager forums asking me for tactical advice and it's just been going well all I'm doing is seeing what the players are good at and then putting them getting them to do that uh, yeah I mean obviously it's a, it's a computer game and it's, you can't make a comparison but the one comparison is that Arteta has done that and he, he has drawn the very simple conclusions about what players strengths and weaknesses are which if I know <laughs> playing a fucking computer game and watching the Arsenal, you know, week in, week out. There must be all kinds of other coaches that must have a great awareness of that. So, you know, it, it's good because it allows Arteta to build in the things he wants to build in that haven't been there about the pressing, about the distances and about uh, the sort of discipline around the club as a whole, whilst also allowing the players who are currently in the squad to feel more comfortable with what they're doing. You know, he's choosing tactics that make them all work hard but protect certain players' weaknesses from being exposed all the time. Uh, it does put more of an onus on, on some of the players like Aubameyang and what have you to 
to, to, to do much more work. But that's a great way to win over the players, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Do you think that he also found a place for Maitland Niles right now? I think I was worried the most for, for that position because obviously Marcus Rashford and Martial or whoever was playing there was really both are kind of in form and scoring and fast and you know mm. you know how they can play uh, and Emirates as well mm. and then Maitland Niles really had a fantastic match there. Well I mean I think there's a reason why Maitland Niles has been playing on and off at fullback it's because while he doesn't he's not always defensively switched on enough and while he doesn't have the aggression that you'd want ideally from a fullback he has all the athletic attributes and yeah. and he's so comfortable with the ball of his feet that the key with him is just making him feel comfortable and confident and keeping him switched on you know the the fact is is he's a player that could excel in two or three different positions um and that is where the need is greatest at the moment and Hell, you know, Hector Bellerin's clearly nowhere near his full physical explosiveness. There are apparently some worries about the club about about his recovery and how long it'll take him to get, really get back to the physical level he was before his injury, where he was playing really well. Um, and Maitland-Niles, A, it's a massive opportunity for him to stake a claim to be the first choice long-term, but B, it also protects both Bellerin and the club a little bit from making that situation worse. It allows Bellerin to take longer over his recovery and and not be put into the team where he's not really in a position to succeed because of his 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 injury and still coming back from that. I mean, you know, people forget that ACL and MCL injuries yeah, people come back to training within nine months, but they're always more than a year before they're back to being what they were. Uh, and some of them takes a lot longer, because, particularly if their games are reliant on explosiveness and and, and speed. Which makes me even more worried about Chambers. Yeah, I mean the one the one good thing we can say is that Chambers has never relied on explosiveness or speed. Oh yeah, yes, but you know the longevity and everything and our situation in defense and yeah, yeah just well, I mean obviously. Uh, if we keep having defenders dropping like flies, then it is a massive problem. <laughs> um, I mean, with that in mind, we have to give uh, hats off to Kalasinac, who basically what is injured but still played most of the match and set. I mean, he came out. He came came in out of nowhere. <laughs> like, oh, there's Kalasinac coming off the bus. What <laughs> is yeah, he yeah. injured? Was yeah. he even training? <laughs> Yeah, and played so well with even uh, was it his his uh, yeah, it was his cross for for, for Pepe's I goal. I can't remember the word. Yeah, <laughs> his yeah, cross yeah. for the first. Yeah, goal. yeah, exactly. Um, and and was very solid. I mean, obviously he gave away a a, a stupid foul against Daniel James in the first couple of minutes, which is yeah, yeah, that was just. I mean, it was a fucking harsh booking, but then he did the same thing again for the free kick from which Maguire had the header from. Um, and obviously, you know, his anger... And then he got subbed off. He got subbed off because, you know, I mean, he was trying to get subbed off for about 10 minutes beforehand. <laughs> and and uh, initially I was kind of like pissed off that Saka wasn't really ready to come on again have, having that without having cost us against uh city but as it turns out sack apparently wasn't very well either um yeah. so you know congrats for both of them for just getting through the game I and mean, obviously at that stage of the game we were much more in a defensive mold and that didn't suit Saka as well and he sort of yeah 
uh, found it a little bit difficult for the first few minutes, but then as the game went on, was able to relax and use his athleticism uh, and touch to to get himself out out of some difficult situations. Um, I suppose we have to once again talk about yet another shit ref. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much, how closely you were watching things, but um, he clearly had a allergic reaction to the thought of booking Manchester United players, regardless <laughs> what they did. I mean, uh, I saw I saw that. Uh, I think that my Nicola boyfriend was mad and thought that they should have gotten the penalty in the second half. When 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 Basaka should have got booked for diving, you mean? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and referee gave nothing. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, the, I I saw highlights from uh, and uh, from a couple of different people, and obviously during the match and and the match report, and every single commentator said it wasn't a penalty, and he was lucky not to be booked for diving. So, <laughs> so generally, when there's that level of consensus, I'm quite happy to stick with my own bias. Uh, <laughs> But just like, uh, I mean, in the same way that Jorginho did for Chelsea, you know, Fred was, I mean, how he didn't get at least a booking. So many fouls, yeah. So many fouls. And they they weren't even, you know, some of them were a bit clumsy or trying to, but three or four of them were just like not even trying to play the ball. Uh, And the referee just trots off. And again, another referee who's obsessed with, with pedantry rather than, rather than actually refereeing the game properly you know he was kind of t- making people retake free kicks or throws from like five yards further back or mm-hmm. you know quite happy to bollock people who mouthed off at him but completely ignoring f- <laughs> rotational fouling well it, it could be again us because when i yelled this is port fourth foul by fred the, he said uh, no that that's definitely not a yellow how could that be a yellow no mm-hmm. he doesn't deserve the yellow <laughs> yes <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I think I think Fred actually committed over half of Man United's fouls in the entire match. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's strange because he was a player that when he played for Shakhtar Donetsk, I thought was a really impressive, uh, athletic, attacking mid, but, but box-to-box midfielder with a wide range of skills. And since he's gone to United, he just goes around kicking people. <laughs> I mean, he's really been Mourinho'd to the max. <laughs> Uh, and he hasn't and he's not able to recover um, I mean the only other thing to say about the game is really how strong we were defensively despite the fact we've got this makeshift makeshift defence um, I mean we looked really comfortable actually yeah something we definitely needed after the Chelsea match yeah. and Socrates really did really well and I mean Luis was good against uh, Chelsea as well but mm. it was really another good performance for him and and Ben Leno was back to his old safe show, showing that the two mistakes he made against Chelsea were just that good mistakes something that can happen and definitely not something he will continue doing well it just shows what happens when you don't find yourself relying on Mustafi <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe it's that <laughs> team around him. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Socrates, as we all know, has his limitations, but he's certainly not frightened of just fouling an opposition player to stop a <laughs> counter-attack. 
<laughs> he's very very comfortable with that level of shithousery <laughs> and he also didn't get the yellow actually i think that it was caution it's only one with the yellow right yeah 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 you think it was a really gentle and nice match <laughs> yeah i mean it wasn't you know it wasn't a particularly dirty game but yeah no was, but... but it was just again piss poor refereeing but uh for anyone who's wants to know more about the how the uh the, uh, the Premier League match officials group are just totally fucking incompetent as an organisation. There's an interesting uh, article about the Bobby Madley situation on the dailycanon.com website, which basically shows how it was a cover-up. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'll let you go and read that rather than repeating it here because it's worth reading. Um, so obviously, uh, we're all feeling quite happy and positive at the moment. Yes. Uh, and that's transmitted to the players because, you know, from press leaks are plenty of the, you know, Aubameyang wants to leave because he thinks Arteta doesn't know what he's doing and Xhaka's about to go to Berlin any minute and Torreira's <laughs> going to anywhere that will have funny. him and Kalasinac yeah. is going to Roma. Uh, suddenly, it doesn't appear as anyone's going anywhere. <laughs> Everyone wants to stick around. <laughs> you know, Aubameyang shot down the rumours uh, by... Well... Uh, in, Kind of shut down rumors. I'm not too convinced with his. I'm here right now. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I think I think every Arsenal fan probably uh, accepts that uh, unless we have an amazing second half of the season, Aubameyang will probably be off in the summer. Uh, yeah. Which I don't think anyone can complain with, either in terms of the player or in terms of uh, the club allowing it to happen, really. I mean, firstly, he'll be 31 next season, uh, by the start of next season, and he'll have a year left in his contract. And if he isn't going to renew, then we have to sell him. And frankly, for the wages that he's worth at the age he is, is it worth Arsenal paying him those wages when the team is clearly in a period of restructuring? You know, for me, if... If we were closer to challenging and the Arteta project was a, a year or two further on or Aubameyang was a couple of years younger, then I'd be throwing lots of, lots of money at him and trying to convince him to stay. But we're going to be at least a couple of years away from being really competitive. And by then you're looking at Aubameyang being, even though he's a great athlete and looks after himself, but being 33 and you'd have to pay him at least 300 grand a week, I suspect. Uh, and that's even if he wanted to stay, which given where he is in his career, he might prefer to be somewhere where he actually can win some big trophies. I mean, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with you. With everything that you have mentioned, with his age and wages and everything, I think that we could definitely uh, use those wages uh, a, a bit smarter <laughs> than paying an aging striker that much money. Although I'm not sure if someone else would also pay him that much <laughs> Well, it depends. I mean, as as is often the case, it's everyone's waiting to see what happens at the the big Spanish giants. You know, I mean, if either Barcelona or Real Madrid want him, then they they can absorb those wages quite comfortably. And if and also if either of them want him, it's because they'll be letting one of their other attacking players go, who by necessity will be on big wages. Um, I can't see him wanting to get anywhere else in in England because he's not going to get. He's not going to be first choice guaranteed at Liverpool or City with the way they play. And United and Spurs are just as much of a fucking mess as we are. Um, and Chelsea 
Um, well, I mean, he wouldn't go to Chelsea um, again. Perhaps uh, Juventus or Inter. Yeah, I mean, perhaps, but obviously, I mean, Juventus having missed out on uh, Haaland, uh, we'll sort of have to wait and see what happens with them. I mean, there's a lot of dis- talk about players going in and out there. Um, and obviously, he, he, his explosiveness would be very effective in Italy, although it's it being so much more of a tactical game there, I don't know if he would in- enjoy playing in Italy particularly. Mm-hmm. And we all know it's been his dream since he was a kid to play for Real Madrid, so we'll watch this space. I mean, obviously, if no other better place teams come in for him, then that makes contract negotiations with him a lot easier. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't like it to drag on into the next season. Definitely get it sorted before summer, and then either have have him stay at the club or sell him. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think Raúl Senyahi made it pretty clear uh, this time last year that you know if 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 a player gets to their last year and they haven't renewed, it's see you later, sunshine. Um, and I and I hope the club stays true to that because we don't want to get into the situation where either Ozil is able to hold us to ransom or Sanchez is able to run down his contract. Um, on the Sanchez story, we just want to, before I finish with you, uh, talk about some of the rumours that are going around. And now I know transfer rumours aren't your big thing, but... Uh, just because it relates to Sanchez, we're, we're linked to uh, Thomas Lamar again. <laughs> I've seen some tweets that several Premier League clubs are interested in Thomas Lamar. And I wonder who is putting out that information. Is it his <laughs> agent or is it Atletico Madrid? Because it sure as hell won't be any of the clubs in England. <laughs> apparently, yeah, apparently Atletico uh, are desperate to get a shot of him before his value drops, drops off any further. And obviously, you know, he was a player with the whole Sanchez thing. I mean, we had Man City fucked us around all summer pretending they were going to bid for him and then waited until the last week of the transfer window to bid to try and get a low ball price. Yeah. Uh, and we sort of, and we agreed in principle to do it, uh, tried to buy Lamar, and then Lamar was basically like, no, there's a day left. I'm training with France. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, and then so we were stuck with Sanchez who wanted out. And Lamar then ended up going for considerably less money, about 40 million less, to Atletico Madrid, where he's been a complete failure. <laughs> um, so that, that was a, a sliding doors moment that worked out really badly for everyone. <laughs> well, we got a decent amount of money for... Yeah, we didn't. I forgot. What? Alexis. Yeah, well, no, we didn't. We just swapped him for Mkhitaryan. Yeah, oh my God. How did I forget that? <laughs> which, which worked out being a, a, an even worse job for United than it was for us. Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. We got some kind of good deal for that. I just, my brain froze for a second yeah. there. <laughs> well, it's like even with, you know, even, I mean, we've, apparently we've just turned down a 10 million bid for Mkhitaryan uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, he is worth more than that uh, and obviously United are currently having to pay into Milan to have Alexis as part of their squad this season so uh, <laughs> yeah. it's <is> fantastic <laughs> you've got to take what pleasure and I've just seen that uh, Jesse Lingard signed with Mino Raiola as his agent so <laughs> well he's an optimist <laughs> <laughs> There was two, yeah, someone, someone recently was talking about, uh, I think it may have even been Lineker, uh, talking about how there's rumours of United making a bid of 45 million plus uh, Lingard for, for James Madison. So I, mm. I replied, well, well, so that's a total value, value of, 40, of uh, 50 million then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh yeah, I was, I was really relieved that he didn't do anything. <laughs> I, I mean, he was awful against us. Awful, awful. Uh, he's uh, been like that whole season. Yeah, he's been. Re- I mean, obviously, we we knew that up until the summer, he'd had some personal problems and yeah. family issues, and and obviously, of course, that will affect people's performances because all all players are individuals. But he really hasn't been able to refine whatever was making him, you know, a genuinely selected England player who was performing well for England. I mean, you know, I don't care because he plays for Man United and he seems to be a massive bellend. (laughs) But uh, it's always quite surprising when a player drops off quite so quickly, particularly when it's not age-related. So, uh, last thing with you before we finish up... uh, we're playing the FA Cup against Leeds tonight. Um, <laughs> Eddie Nketiah has been recalled from his loan, uh, which means he's eligible to start for us against them, which would be very funny. Um, I mean, do you? What, what, what are you anticipating this evening? Oh, I would like to see a mix, mixed uh, lineup with some youngsters getting minutes and the senior players getting races. I would expect, you know, like so and Obama Young getting some rest. Yeah. And definitely want us hope for hope for a win and hopefully a good entertaining match for us. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I mean I think it's very likely that yes, we will indeed have a mixed squad. Uh, I mean the need to rest and rotate players is paramount because like they everyone that was fit that is a senior player played pretty much all all of the the three christmas matches christmas and new year matches um although arteta has said in his interview today that uh, arsenal have to take the fa cup very seriously and become addicted to winning um so he's obviously going to try and pick a reasonably strong squad um we have to see, yeah, they obviously uh, Martinelli and Bellerin are still being assessed for hamstring problems. Um, Bielsa has talked about taking the cup seriously as well, so it, it could be some interesting lineups, slight, possibly slightly stronger teams than anticipated, so we'll have to wait and see. Scoreline prediction? Um, I'm going to go with 2-0 Arsenal. 2-0 Arsenal, OK. I'm going to go 3-1. Oh, uh, just because I, I think uh, there'll be youngsters playing on both teams, which means there's, generally means there's no more goals. Mm-hmm. All right, then, my dear. Well, thanks for joining me to talk about the Man U game, and it's it was more fun than I thought last week. <laughs> <laughs> well, touche, touche, <laughs> and congratulations again to both of you. Thank you. In your divided household. <laughs> And uh, listeners, uh, it's going to take a very short break and then I'll be back with someone new to talk about Arsenal against Leeds United. Thanks, Anita. It was joy, really. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to give them advice to tell them exactly what they were going to face. And after 32 minutes, we started to win one duel, I think. I guess this team is impossible. They look, they look like a, a small team, you know, when we change our attitude, our desire. And we changed, obviously, a few things at time in our organisation. We were completely different. Hello back, listeners. It's the second part of this week's Daily Canon Weekly podcast. And we've got a new guest on the podcast this week to talk about the game against Leeds United in the FA Cup and a range of other things. So joining me this week is Rohan Kumar, that's at 09Rohan on Twitter, who's joining us all the way from Delhi. So therefore is uh, used to having to support Arsenal through severe time delays and having to watch things at unholy hours. How are you, Rohan? 
Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Not bad at all. Hey. Not, not bad at all. Uh, uh, two wins in a row. So what's not to like? Yeah, what a game. <laughs> After all, the first half, it was like, oh boy, are we going to lose it badly or are we going to have that Arteta's magical words take the players to do something good after all. So obviously, I imagine you were up pretty late watching this game last night, local time. What time in Delhi did it finish? Uh, it was around 3.30. It's usually that long when it's on weekdays. Mm. So there you're uh, another fine example of an Arsenal fan suffering for their dedication. <laughs> yeah, I had a pretty some around Unai Emery's reign. <laughs> should I watch the game or should I not? To be but fair, Arsenal I love. Uh, well, to be fair, we had the same thing. Even those of us who had nice, convenient times to watch the games weren't during the end of Unai Emery's reign. I had quite a lot <laughs> of games this season I missed due to work reasons, and uh, I've never been quite so. Uh, comfortable with that reality um, so obviously uh, talking about the game last night uh, as you've alluded to it was a, a game of two halves and it was very much how would how were things going to go at half time but before we get into that what did you think of the starting lineup? I really think Arteta wants to win, uh, start winning some trophy with us. So it was a strong lineup, not taking leads as a championship team, thinking about them as more of a PL team, mm -hmm. and uh, a strong lineup that could have, like, if it have been a, a couple of youngsters, maybe we should have conceded or something with the leads pressing. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because in in the build-up to the match, uh, all the speculation was that both teams were going to rest a lot of players. And as it happened, Leeds picked almost their strongest possible team. And we picked uh, something not that far off our strongest possible team as well. We rested three or four players. Leeds only rested a couple. Um, interesting that Leeds, who are obviously pushing for promotion and ran out of steam last season under Bielsa, are still looking to to uh, not rotate for the cup, for a difficult away cup game. Um, but they showed the strength of their football. I mean, were you surprised by what you saw by Bielsa's team? Really, I didn't think that they were going to go all guns blazing on us. I thought it would be, have been opposite and uh, with maybe Lacazette starting, so maybe he could have scored one or two in the first half. Have you seen much of uh, Leeds under Bielsa prior to the match? Uh, I saw three, four matches when Nekutia was uh, in the squad, maybe on coming on as a sub or uh, in the last matches where he started as a started. So. It was like quite a bit of attacking team. I didn't think championship teams would play like that and like do that every weekend out when they have almost three matches in a week. As you say, yeah, the, the energy they showed uh, was incredibly impressive. And one thing that was really clear, and I, I guess um, offers hope for us as Arsenal fans, is uh, you can really see in Leeds' performance the impact of Bielsa's coaching. I mean, yes, there's a lot of effort, but it was so well coordinated and uh, the, the quality of their pressing and their positional discipline and their distances, I thought, were really, really impressive. And it really shows the benefit of someone with a clear vision 
working with a team for an extended period of time. And I would suggest that what we've seen from Arteta so far means that that kind of uh, knowledge of the of, of the tactics is something we can aspire towards. Yeah, it was like all the way I want my Arsenal to play. At pressing high, then doing the three, one-touch footballing around the defense of the opponent. But one thing that Leeds missed was a clearly a finisher. Maybe if they had Nekatia or some like someone like more like Lacazette or Aubameyang, they would have like played more or won against Arsenal last match. Well, you're very right. I mean, that's been the big problem Leeds have had for a couple of seasons is that they've got this great domination of games, but uh, they're reliant for goals upon Patrick Bamford, who, you know, as we know, wasn't good enough to make it at Chelsea, had a decent run at Middlesbrough. And tactically, he's very important for them because he works really hard and he's quite physical and he uh, takes up good positions, but he's never been a consistent finisher. Um, and that is something which cost Leeds last season in their attempts to get promoted and has uh, might cost them this season and also sort of makes it seem even stranger that we didn't see a bit more of Nketiah playing for them during this season when he, when he was fully fit to do so, um, even though Bamford is important for their tactics. Um, and... Kind of what you're saying there is exactly what the match turned on, really, wasn't it? I mean, Leeds created probably more good chances than us, but uh, we... Yeah, they needed a clinical finisher. Uh, Bamford had like two or three chances, clear-cut chances, and he should have scored like at least one. Come on. You are playing for the championship team. You have been playing for these many years. You can't score one. Well, it's also the fact that there were a few times where either he or other of the front players for Leeds had great possession in dangerous areas but just chose the wrong final option uh, which which was the big difference with obviously our winning goal is there was a point where uh, it was some good individual play Lacazette chose a right option the defence intervened but then the ball f- f- uh, fell for Nelson um, so looking at that uh, obviously we were totally dominated in the first half in that game. Um, what were you thinking at half time? I thought, come on, man, I've woken up from this late for watching this man. We can't uh, again do this again. <laughs> we have to win this somehow. Let that Arteta do some magical thing, what he has been doing for these two, three weeks, and let us win it. And that's what we did. I mean, a great start to the second half and we did it. I mean, what what did you have a a clear idea in your mind at halftime about what the team needed to change in order to in order to improve or or, or was it that Leeds' performance was so strong it was hard to determine what that should be? I think we weren't pressing that enough to the defensive line or maybe their midfield in the first half. Which when Lacazette started to running along uh, at their uh, centre backs like uh, seriously and uh, like a dog or something, and then their defences started making mistakes, balls falling to our uh, Pepe and Nelson, we making runs into their defences. That all uh, started uh, our attack, and that maybe led to our goal. We what? needed to press them. Yeah, I, I mean, what I... they did. I totally agree. I mean, it was 
we we saw more aggression both in pressing and and in the challenge, but also uh, it with more attacking intent. And as you you mentioned, the runs that were being made were much more committed and dynamic from our wide players as well. And suddenly it meant that we were able to get up the pitch more and give Leeds problems, which obviously meant they couldn't have quite an easy time of passing around us in triangles as they did in the first half. Um, yeah. I mean, w- talking again about the fact that it was a big difference in the two halves, a lot of people have commented on the performance of Matteo Genduzzi being very different in the two halves. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. I think he's really improving. For what I saw, uh, he really wants not to be just uh, uh, standing, say, CDM who just passes the ball around. He wants to be a CM who is running, making runs into the D like Ramsey used to do, running with the ball, passing to the teammates, shooting like he had the chance to do mm-hmm. uh, from the outside the box. If it really improves on that, being not a defensive CDM won't like help his game because we already have Jaka doing that work well obviously we've seen under Arteta uh, the reintroduction of the Jaka Torreira deeper partnership and and I think in the first half of this game we we missed some of Torreira's aggression in winning the ball and also quick feet when pressed and ability to play sharp little first time passes Um, because both Torreira and sorry both uh, Genduzi and Jaka uh, like like to have a, a longer passing range and therefore take more time about their passes, but Leeds pressing didn't really allow that to happen. But I would say in the second half, Genduzi sped up his play, uh, which uh, as the whole team did, which uh, helped out Jacques's performance as well. I thought. Yeah, he really needs to like improve on his passing. Maybe he shouldn't be uh, lying since central defensive midfielder. He should try to be uh, like Gundogan used to do in his Borussia Dortmund days or maybe what he's doing right now at City. Yeah, I think that's a great model. I mean, I mean again, Doozy's obviously got a little bit more strength and, and athletic potential than Gundogan but uh, certainly Gundogan is a is a is a, a really underrated footballer who really flies under the radar but I think is a fantastic player and if Genduzi can develop to have that sort of level of control to his game as well as his energy then that could be really really fantastic for us going forward um what did you think of Socrates having to fill in at right back <laughs> At first, I really thought it was going to be a three at the back, but I then I thought, come on, he's not an Emery, he was going to change formation every match. But then, yes, yeah, Socrates at right back, he really filled in. But we missed uh, uh, Maitland Niles uh, pressing, which was needed at the right flank because of uh, their most runs were from the right flank. Yeah, Leeds were very much pressing down that side and. and um... And I think it was also uh, the comfort in possession. Obviously, Maitland-Niles has flaws to his game, but he's a very competent passer on either foot. And as we know, Socrates is not really a ball-playing defender. Um, but uh, he did give us that very enjoyable moment down by their quarter flag, corner flag oh, in the second half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the best moment. 
and and obviously his celebration of a late tackle like it was a goal is always something that us fans quite enjoy. Um, so obviously, after this very strong first half Leeds had, we were in trouble. We pushed forward more, as you said, in the second half, and then came the goal. Um, I mean, what did you what, what did you think of Reese Nelson's performance overall? Uh, and uh, do you think that goal is going to be a significant moment for him in his career? Yeah, he is playing very well under Arteta. He like wasn't doing that like most of our players under Unai Emery, but he looks rejuvenated under Arteta. Maybe if he plays well, makes his like Arteta said, his passes in the opposition box have not been that good. Like uh, Sterling or Sané do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he improves on that. He can be a great footballer. We have seen that how he did at Hoffenheim last season. Yeah, and of course we've seen it at the England age groups and then for the under-23s for Arsenal where he proved himself too good for those levels. Um, uh, I think what's really interesting for Nelson that he's getting more time under Arteta. Arteta talked about it, didn't he, in his post-match interview about Nelson being... Uh, very willing to learn, very dedicated and uh, intelligent in the way that he absorbed information. And obviously with a slightly clearer tactical setup, that's something where that intelligence can be useful for, for, for the coach. But also what I like about um, Nelson is most of our wide players are, are very direct, very quick uh, dribblers. Obviously Nelson has a bit of that to his game, but he's a bit more of a possession footballer, a bit more of a continuity footballer. He's he's not frightened to, to uh, recycle possession and, turn, and, and, and retain possession rather than necessarily... Uh, always pushing to make things happen and that might be good for the balance of our team if you've got Pepe or or Saka on the opposite flank to him who are obviously very direct and very very much about running with the ball um, I mean do you think Nelson has a long term chance at Arsenal do you have you seen enough to make make you think that's a possibility uh, yeah he can play on both the flanks that has like being the best thing because uh, when uh, we need to rest of a man, he can pull in at the left flank and aid Lacazette. And when we need to rest Pepe, he can come in there. So that has been a real good thing about him. And he has been also helped by injuries to Martinelli and Sa- and our left back issues. I still don't think why we let uh, Dominic Thompson and Cohen Bramble this season. Well, I guess uh, for me, I don't think Cohen Bramall was ever going to be defensively good enough to cope at this level. Um, I, I think he's going to have a decent career in the lower leagues, but I saw a player that lacked the uh, the, the positional knowledge to, to really fill in. Thompson's an interesting one because he had been not tearing up any trees for the under-23s, uh, had been fairly regular, then had a period where he was playing at number 10 for the under-23s for reasons I still don't fully understand, uh, and then and playing in the field. And then had a, a great uh, few games for us in pre-season at left-back and then was immediately sold to Brentford for, I guess, a lot more money than people would have expected a year previously, having had those good games for us at left-back. So... I, I guess, have you seen much of uh, of Bowler, our, our under-23 left-back, and what do you make of him? Yeah, he, he has been good for us this season. And 
we really need uh, i was more of thinking of jordi ositutu is mm. on loan uh, in germany maybe we could call him back in january play him where he wants to he's more of a left back so we can use him right now kolasnac has been playing too many games we can't injure him during most of our important games coming up yeah you're true i mean that, that that's definitely a problem with your tierney's injury has definitely thrown things in in flux a little bit um i mean obviously there's lots of conversation at the moment about us buying new defender we've been linked with right backs and we've been linked with center backs um obviously max aaron's jerome boteng uh, and uh, the guy we cannot afford from rb leipzig <laughs> <laughs> are, uh, are are the primary names linked? But I I wouldn't be surprised if we find ourselves picking up uh, someone I guess who has the positional flexibility of someone like a Tyrone Mings, a, a, someone who can play at fullback or centre half uh, competently either way. Apologies for the sirens, listeners, but uh, that's what happens when you live in a big city. Um, so we're all kind of waiting to see what's going to happen on that front. Uh, going back to the game itself, uh, what did you make of Pepe's performance? Uh, when he like started uh, in the first half, he made a run from our box to their box. I thought, yes, now we are going to show Spurs who is the real deal here. <laughs> Come on, score. And then he was tackled in around their uh, Leeds box. So I thought, no, no thing. He's going to score that uh, in another game. He has all the capabilities. His dribbling skills are just awesome. Yeah, and obviously he was in in the first half was our primary sort of attacking threat, um, and also uh, played a key part in the goal, didn't he? Yeah, he has been running in around, dribbling in and around. What he did for all the last season for Lille. Hmm. Uh, he's getting back to his best. We just need to be more patient. Maybe he's going to uh, be the all conqueror next season against Arteta, with Arteta around. Well, certainly, it, it, he's a bit got a bit of adjustment. Obviously, the English league is more physical. It's more relentless. You don't have any easy games because even the teams at the bottom will fight. Um, but there's also the fact that uh, Lille had a very uh, structured but counter-attacking style, uh, which Emery attempted to have a counter-attacking style, but it was very muddled. And Arteta's style is a little less counter-attacking, uh, but does rely on speedy wingers. So there's a slight adjustment to be had there, but it, it's reassuring to see him starting a few games. Um, and obviously... You know, a goal and assist against Manchester United, heavily involved in the in the winner in this game. You know, he's making the contributions that are the reason why we signed him. Um, and as you say, that bodes very well for, for next season particularly. Um, the other person I wanted to ask you about, because you mentioned him briefly, is, is Martinelli, who we saw have a, a, a late cameo in the game. Uh, looked like he didn't miss a beat, didn't it? No, it just um, looks like the guy who has come to play football here be the best guy in the world. He's a world beater, really. He shows that in every match. I mean, certainly the the level of in, uh, physical intensity he plays with and, and the the touch he has around the box is, I mean, I saw a tweet the, the, uh, yesterday talking about the, the transfer window and the summer just gone as being 
a, a terrible disaster and I couldn't quite work out where anyone was coming from that because I think all the signings we made in that transfer window you know the jury's out on Sabayas I guess but that's a loan uh, have been good signings I mean Tierney's injured but he's shown enough to know that he's going to offer a lot going forward uh, uh, Pepe was obviously a big money signing Louise is starting to show the reasons why we bought him with the leadership qualities and what have you but obviously Martinelli uh, looks like an incredible bargain at the moment and gives us so many more options going forward given that he can play uh, across the front line It doesn't really look like he was playing in second division uh, six months from before Yeah, I mean, even not long before that, he was playing quite a few games in the Brazilian fourth tier, I think, <laughs> which which just shows. Uh, I mean, it makes you wonder why Man United took him took him on uh, as a trial and then didn't pursue it. I mean, you can kind of understand it with Barcelona because they've also got a, a wealth of attacking talent, um, and and it's harder to get game time for them. I mean, I guess Man United felt with. You know, Rashford, Martial, uh, Greenwood coming through, and, and others that they didn't need another pacey wide man. But there we go. Um, yeah, United, United have been polishing their all good gem, Jesse Lingard. Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Jesse Lingard, who is rumoured to be offered to Leicester City, uh, but as as I mentioned with Anita earlier, but we, we anyway. I mean, his uh, his career is is needs a rejuvenation for sure. Um, Interesting, though, I wanted to also just ask you more generally about the game last night, uh, that Leeds managed to have much more possession than us. We only had 41% possession, and they had more shots and more shots on target, um, which is such a contrast to what we've seen uh, with Arsenal against Manchester United. Um, uh, I mean, what do you think this says about uh, Solskjaer as a coach? <laughs> uh, I think he, he just thinks about it too much, smiles about it too much. He's not improving the team anyhow. I re recently read a tweet, Man United fan saying, let's lose 6-0 today so Solskjaer can get sacked. <laughs> okay, well, I, I mean, I think Come on. that's a little bit extreme. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, even, even with Unai Emery in charge, we never wanted that. But um, yeah, also it's a Carabao Cup semi-final. Come on, you're seriously <laughs> going to think about that? Well, I suppose they, uh, Man United, still think they're too big to consider such things uh, as as trophies, but. Um, just looking forward and speaking more generally because obviously we've talked a bit about the match uh, the next round sees us away at Bournemouth uh, how do you feel about that as a draw? I think it's a tough fixture considering how other top six sides have been uh, given uh, but really think with Arteta around he's not going to take uh, any game lightly, whether it would be a PL Premier League club or a Champions League club or a Championship club. So I really think it's going to be a good game. And let's win FA Cup and Europa League this season. <laughs> I mean, I'd settle for that. That that'd be quite. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then looking forward more immediately, we've got Crystal Palace on Saturday lunchtime. Uh, I mean, it's strangely enough, Palace aren't as good at home as they are away from home. 
I mean, what, what do you make of that as a, as a challenge for this team? Um, given that obviously Palace are, are doing pretty well this season. I mean, they're ahead of us in the league by a point, uh, which is slightly depressing. But um, have you had the chance to see much of Palace this year? Yeah, uh, I really think it's going to be a good match. But Luka Milovic has a, has been suspended for that, so they won't be scoring. He won't be scoring a penalty. <laughs> and uh, uh, the way he moves around in the midfield, controls the midfield, they would be missing him. So it's a good opportunity for us to hit them because they were they beat us last April mm. and. One of the reasons we didn't uh, qualify for the Champions League. Well, indeed, indeed. And as you say, Mirovic is a—he's a really underrated player. I mean, obviously, we we all know that he's a, a penalty expert extraordinaire, and Palace win a lot of penalties. But uh, he, he, as you say, he provides so much control for Palace, both positionally and in terms of just keeping the ball moving, that it'd be interesting to see what they do in his absence. I mean, certainly, it's a big help for us. The good thing is uh, that actually there'll be f- uh, some days recovery for Arsenal players for the first time since Arteta took over. Uh, and then after that, there's a full week until we've got Sheffield United at home. So um, it's important that uh, the players are able to recover because then there's three fixtures in a week after that with uh, ch- away at Chelsea and Bournemouth in the FA Cup, etc., etc. So... Uh, it's a, also a good chance for Arteta to cement some of his uh, tactical ideas into the team a bit more firmly. What, what did you make of Arteta's comments after the match last night? I think he really knows what he wants from the team. The players know what he wants from uh, what he wants. Uh, they were a little tired, maybe a bit too excited after winning against Man United. So the first half was maybe a fluke. And uh, they did come out uh, strong in the second half. If we, if we can uh, start doing that uh, in both the halves, then maybe we can be reaching this, uh, thinking of reaching Champions League this season. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, Arteta was very candid in his uh, post-match interview, and as actually the players, <coughs> the players have been in their interviews since he took over. There seems to be a much more honest culture at the club uh, in terms of what's being said publicly. I mean, Unai Emery, obviously, even when he said things, honestly, you could quite quite a lot of the time you couldn't work out what he was trying to say. Um, because of his uh, communication issues, which I'd also say are not really language issues. They're just someone, he's just not a very clear communicator in general. Um, and, and under Arsene Wenger, there was always the sugar coating, wasn't there? There was always kind of the positive spin. Uh, but Arteta really didn't, well, didn't mess about, did he? <laughs> yeah, he means business. Yeah, he's all business. He wants the club to start winning again. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, it's been quite a while since at Arsenal since we've seen the team sort of called out like that. Um, you know, he was very clear that in the first half, the team did not uh, give the opposition enough respect, uh, took their foot off the gas, were possibly slightly overconfident after beating United. And he was made some very pointed comments about, you know, um, 
I I need to see what the team was like after they lost, and I was pleased with that. And I need to see what the team was like after they won, and not so pleased with that. And I mean, there were all kinds of messages being put out there, and and um, you know, Nelson and Lacazette were both pretty honest when they were interviewed in, after the game as well. So it certainly seems that Arteta is immediately bringing this more demanding culture to the club than we've seen in a long time. Um, uh, and the most important thing is players are enjoying it instead of complaining about it like uh, in the later years of Wenger or like we used to see during the Unai Emery reign. Hmm. Players are happy about it, players want to do, want to fight for the badge. It's something we want, all want to see and it's like good. I mean, I was going to ask I'm you... loving Arteta. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the universal response so far. I mean, he seems to get not just a what the team needs but also what the fans need to hear as well um you know it's a it it, it's a funny thing because it's such a a basic thing that basic fans need to hear or need to see their team basically busting a gut uh you know uh the te- the fans will forgive people for being not great if they if they uh, a, a play with energy and passion and uh, and uh, a commitment to their teammates. That's sort of we don't need a lot more than that, really. I mean, obviously, after a while, you need quality as well. But um, I was going to ask you, uh, Rohan, how long have you actually been an Arsenal fan? Uh, I started watching them around 2011. Ah, so you've uh, so you've suffered. <laughs> <laughs> you've, yeah. But then uh, those FA Cups and all the good things came along. Alexis Sanchez winning matches, scoring goals, and my favorite player has been Mesut Ozil. So I really like watching him. Well, and he, and he's back. You know. Uh, yeah. Not so long after people were writing him off, it appears as though he's he's found a coach that it's a going to not let him slack off, which he's sometimes prone to doing, but b also is willing to make him integral to the team um, in a way that Emery was clearly never willing to do, um, and uh, hopefully, as I, as I was saying with Anita earlier, hopefully his back injuries are behind him now and. And, and he can uh, maintain a level of fitness that allows him to get some continuity into his game. Because as we've seen in the recent fixtures, uh, he is so important to us. I mean, it was a fun little stat that came out last night, or a couple of fun stats, I don't know if you saw them, but after 30 minutes, Ozil had touched the ball six times, but by the end of the match, he'd created more chances than anyone else on the pitch. <laughs> And he has been running around a whole lot uh, and since Arteta has come along. We didn't used to see that under an Emery. No, and, and even under the latter period of uh, Wenger, although I, I would suggest his back injury had something to do with that, as, as did the team's decline in fortunes. Um, again, just moving on to a couple other topics just before we finish off. Uh, what do you think of uh, Eddie Nketiah being recalled from Leeds on loan and what do you think the best thing that the club should do with him now is? I think players are ahead of him right now. He needs a loan move where maybe he can score 10 to 15 goals. 10 goals are the most realistic target. So uh, uh, either a loan move to Championship Club or 
maybe some Bundesliga clubs coming around for him. Like Hertha Bellerin, Klinsmann uh, mm-hmm. wants to take the team to the Champions League. He can be a good clinical finisher. Yes, we have seen that. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, it seems uh, David Ornstein put out a thing yesterday saying that it seems like the choices for Enketia are between Bristol City, Nottingham Forest and Sheffield Wednesday. Um, do you have any preference between those three options? I'll go with Bristol City. Uh, and uh, why is that? Not that I disagree, I hasten to add. <laughs> I watched them like uh, sometime uh, against Leeds this season. They have been playing good football and uh, not much of a finisher they have. So it's better Eddie has a team where he can be where he's the main striker. Not like Leeds where Bamford, even though he was not finishing, he was given the striker's role. Well, it's also Bristol City, of course, have been after Nketiah since the summer, so there is a, a sort of relationship there. So it does seem that that does make the most sense. Uh, although Forest is a decent option because they're playing decent football at the moment and are going reasonably well in the Championship. But I think I'd agree with you. I'd, I'd go for the Bristol City option as well. Um and then lastly, um, I know that obviously being an avid Arsenal fan, your your interest goes beyond just the first team. Uh, I was just wondering if you'd um, if you had any observations about how the under twenty threes and the under eighteens are doing at the moment. I mean, they've been drawing a few games recently, but obviously a lot of their better players are either injured or playing in the, around the first team squad. But is there anyone that's particularly caught your eye that uh, less? Uh, fans who are less interested in the youth groups might not be aware of. I think Harry Clark as a centre back has been doing very well for the under 23s. He needs to be like given a chance to maybe train with them, show Arteta what he's got, because we are really need a centre back. Rob Holding has looked rusty, so maybe if Harry Clark can come in, uh, do something good, he can be a good thing. That's a, yeah, that's an interesting choice because he's obviously, of course, has just stepped up from the under 18s this season, so is is still very young for that age group. Um, and he's yeah, he's not a name that I've heard mentioned as a personal as a potential first team before. So that's interesting. I mean, I mean, I've seen a bit of him playing, but I haven't seen that much of him. So that's that's something uh, to, to keep a lookout for. Um, uh, he has been keeping Zach Medley out of the squad when Mavropanos mm. was playing as a second centre-back. And uh, I have seen him play as a right-back also when Medley was starting and Mavropanos as a centre-back. So he's quite versatile and speedy too. We, if we need a speedy centre-back or mm. we need him to deputise as a right-back, he's the man. Because obviously uh, Dan Ballard has had that serious injury which has curtailed his progress. And, and as you say, Zek Medley's very comfortable on the ball but seems to still have issues with concentration and and positioning at centre half which has kind of stymied his uh, development a little bit not much else to say except for obviously the Arsenal ladies won again this week with a a 2-0 victory an absolutely beautiful goal from Jordan Nobbs following a a, a brilliant through ball from Leah Williamson from the back Uh, 
unusually Vivian Emidema was not in her deadly form so wasn't so actually missed some chances but Arsenal uh, women are still top of the league uh, still on course to retain their title despite Chelsea's uh, signing of Sam Kerr the Australian superstar um, so you know we've seen the continuity within Joe Montemuro's ta- uh, coaching and tactical setup for the women's team and there seems to be a greater similarity between him and Arteta than, than there was between him and Emery so hopefully that can point a way forward for the men's team um, Yeah, I really want them to win the Champions League this season they've got the team for it and they should go for it well, I guess it's uh, they, the key thing is for them to try and avoid the Leon women's team <laughs> for as long as possible because <laughs> they are something else. I mean, uh, they are well. I mean, they've been totally dominant at European level for good reason over the last few years. And and credit where it's due, the Leon president Orlas has has been a real pioneer of of properly supporting women's football at Leon as as well as keeping the men's team very competitive. Um, so uh, yeah hats off to him there um any final thoughts before we knock it on the head this week Rahan? uh i think tyrese john jules needs to be patient he will be given his chance and uh, martinelli as a left winger is a more good option than overmang and overmang should be moved centrally if need be, against like uh, smaller teams where Lacazette's uh, ball control and uh, ball handling is not that much required. Yeah, I mean, as you say, we're going to have to have different uh, tactical setups and rotation. I, I mean, I think that exactly when we're playing against less physical teams, teams that are going to afford us a bit more space or teams that play a very high line, then I too would favour uh, Aubameyang moving centrally and, and Martinelli on the left. And of course, the, the kind of physical punishment that Lacazette's taking in the games at the moment, <laughs> he's going to need a rest from time to time. And I'm glad you mentioned John Jules because he's made the bench uh, a few times recently. I was really hoping Lacazette would score a second goal for us last night so John Jules could come on, as I tweeted during the match, because I, he's a player that really interests me at that age group. He's, um, you know, as I've talked about him on the podcast before, but he's got the ability to play as a support striker as well as a, a number nine and is uh, ha- has unusual qualities for a youth player. So, I, uh, you know, I'm excited by his versatility and his intelligence in the play. So, yeah, as, as you say, uh, he needs to be patient this year, but I can see him maybe going on loan somewhere next year and then coming back to challenge as obviously our, you know, our, our striking situation will change in the coming seasons, just given the age of the players we have. Um, Last thing to ask you, Rohan, just about uh, the transfer window. Um, do you see there being any departures? We had lots of lots of talk about people leaving, but they all seem to not want to leave it anymore. Um, and also, what do you think the key priorities for arrivals are? Say if we could get one signing and one player on loan in the January window, what would you prioritise? Uh, firstly, I would like to say, like, Mustafi is going to leave. He wasn't in the squad yesterday. Uh, then for the loan thing, I think if Lemmer is uh, available, then we should go for it. We shouldn't let Spurs take him anyhow. <laughs> yes, good point. And uh, 
I really don't like saying that, but uh, if Botang is available for no fee, maybe we can afford his wage for one and a half years till Saliba comes back and we have a good centre-back pairing because I really don't think we would be spending 50 or 60 million on a centre-back uh, around this time or maybe next year. Yeah. It's difficult to see. No, I I agree with you. I think it's probably too soon for a major investment at that position. And of course, even though Botang's got very significant wages, um, if if there's no fee involved, then that sort of becomes equitable. I have to confess, I haven't seen enough of Bayern Munich this season to know how how much his form has dropped off over the last couple of years. But obviously, he isn't their first choice anymore. Um, the question is whether they let whether they actually let him leave with with Hernandez and Sula both uh, injured at the moment but I suppose it depends on who else they can pick up I mean they've got lots of players that can fill in there I mean hell they've even been playing David Alaba as a sort of ball playing centre half at points this season so it's a potential option um, and one I, like you I think if, if we can find a deal that works for us it's a sensible one to pursue as for Thomas Lamar it, it's amazing how his career's dropped off at Atletico isn't it uh, I really want to say, don't. Uh, why do the att- attacking players join Simeone? <laughs> why do they? Come on. He's not going to play you as a striker. He will make you come defend as a centre-back. Well, it's also that, uh, specifically tactically, Lamar, um, in that Monaco team that was very successful... I mean, firstly, he was surrounded by very tactically flexible and mobile players, which gave him more options. But also he had uh, Mendy on the left, bombing down the left as an absolute physical beast, allowing him to pull slightly more into central areas, uh, get involved more as a creative player, which is the opposite of how Simeone sets up, where he, he keeps his full backs a little deeper you know, particularly uh, as, as Juan Fran has got older um, and asks his wide players to really play wide. And so the team really isn't set up for Lamar's strengths. Uh, the question is, I guess, how much of the last couple of years damaged his confidence and development? And that's why, much like you, I'd be happy to take him on loan, but, you know, uh, to, with, a, with a try before you buy but I, I don't think spending 50 million or whatever Atletico would want on him is, is a realistic prospect for us given what other needs we have anyway we shall see there are another three weeks of the transfer window left and which much can change during that time uh, as you say uh, yeah, go I had a question for you yeah uh, what do you think of Rugani from Juventus? Rugani, he's. Do you a, think he can? Do you think he can improve our squad? Well, Rugani's a player I've always liked, but it's no doubt that the lack of game time he's got has I mean he's he's slightly lost his way a little bit in the last year, year and a half. Uh, I think the the best time to have picked him up would have would have been at that point in time, or even slightly earlier, because let's face it, he's a player we all knew about before then, but. One thing I do like about Rugani is, I mean, obviously he's got decent height, which sets him apart from a couple of our centre-backs, but also he has a, a, a calmness and, and he's pretty he's decent in possession, but he's very composed. And that's something we need in our, in our back line. It's one of the reasons why there's been issues between the, 
Socrates Louise partnership this season. It's one of the reasons why Mustafi has been exposed at this level because he tends to panic and either dive in or bail out of plays. So having someone with those, with Rogani's qualities, I think, is a good thing. But I must confess, I haven't seen enough of him in the last year to know how far his plays dropped off. So it would depend on what fee Juventus would be looking for, really. Uh, I think anything 20, 25 million, I'd be comfortable taking that risk because of what he's shown in the past. But if we're talking about the 40, 45 million that they were asking for in the summer, then I don't think it's worth it. What's your thoughts on Regani? Uh, he hasn't played much in this season due to Demiral and Dalit uh, coming in. And then even though Kalini got injured, he hasn't played. Sari doesn't like him very much. Mm. But before, when I used to see him under Allegri, he was a very good centre-back. Okay. Uh, we Kind of what we needed around. He has been good with the ball, no-nonsense defender, clearing it, uh, and has a good communications with the centre-backs, any centre-back clearing, actually. He's also a threat in the opposition box from set, set pieces, isn't he? I mean, he's got a, 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 he scored a few goals for Juventus. And given that how effective we are from corners at the moment, uh, <laughs> the more the merrier. Um, yeah, OK. Well, um, I mean, I think we'll leave it there simply because we'll end up talking further, you and I, and also we'll end up talking about the transfer window considerably before the end of the transfer window itself, hopefully with a signing or two involved. Um, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, thanks very much for joining us, Rohan. Uh, listeners, that's Rohan Kuma at 09 Rohan on Twitter. Uh, as I said, all the way from Delhi, uh, representing the uh, the the Indian Arsenal massive. Uh, so can, uh, thank you for that. And uh, yeah, listeners, we'll be speaking to you again next week, hopefully after a win against Crystal Palace. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll knock it on the head because this has been quite a long one. Uh, but I hope you are enjoying the Arteta revolution and I hope that you all have a fantastic week. Yeah, you too. Thank you for having me, Matthew. Absolute pleasure. Take care, one and all.